So welcome to lesson 12 of the study of Galatians. We're beginning the third chapter this morning. And Paul, with the third chapter, starts to get up close and personal. He's laid out pretty much his case in the first two chapters. The first chapter has taught us that his gospel was not taught by man, but by Yeshua the Messiah himself through divine revelation. He makes all of that clear in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he begins to make his case. We get the topic of the letter. And the topic is basically non-Jews do not have to convert to traditional uh, in a traditional fashion to be full covenant members. They do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to become as the Jewish people or live as the Jewish people to be the people of God. God loves those from the nations And part of the good news is that the salvation secured by Yeshua will go out to the nations. The idea that they would seek covenant status and righteousness through any other means is unimaginable to Paul. The fact that they would seek to be justified at all in any other means when God has accepted them is impossible for him to even imagine because it takes away from the gift of God in Messiah. We left off last week with him saying this in chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Messiah. I live no longer, but Messiah lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. And as I pointed out last week, the verb tense there is not I was crucified in that it's over and done. It's in the perfect tense. I have been crucified with Messiah. I continue to be crucified. It's as if he's still on the tree, dying daily. In other words, for all of us, it's a daily process. He dies daily so that he lives no longer and Messiah lives in him and through him, directs him. In Messiah, he has been judged and found innocent. He's been raised to a new life and a new covenant in Messiah. That new covenant is not one whereby man teaches man or neighbor his neighbor, as the Galatians are contemplating, but one where Paul himself knows God and is directed by God so that, as we read last week, Paul now lives for God and Messiah. It's Messiah who guides his footsteps through life. And he says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, what law is he speaking of? Well, in referring to the Galatians, we know from from verse 16, it says, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Messiah Yeshua, even we who have believed in Messiah Yeshua, So that we may be justified by faith in Messiah, not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. When he speaks of works of the law here, he's speaking the law that the Pharisees have imposed. He's referring to specifically to this conversion process, whereby non-Jews for all intents and purposes become Jewish. But for our purposes, let me just say this, it could be anybody's works of the law. It could be the Catholics' works of the law, the Baptists' works of the law. No matter whose works of the law, it will not justify you. Even if you could follow someone like Paul around who was being led by the Spirit of God, who had relationship with God, 
who walked out the law through the leading of the Spirit himself, and you followed him around and copied every move he made meticulously so that your works of the law were according to the Spirit of God, it would not be enough to justify you. Only faith in the risen Messiah can justify you. He says, I did not set aside God's gracious gift. And what is God's gracious gift? It's the salvation secured through Messiah Yeshua's redemptive work and the leading of the Spirit. For if righteousness could be attained by any other way, then Messiah could have just remained with the Father instead of lowering himself. So in the worldview, if we look at it in a worldview, if men, even covenant-keeping Jewish men, could have attained righteousness through observing the law, then Messiah came for nothing. But at the same time, he's also saying on a personal level that if you seek to be justified in any other way, then you have rendered Messiah's coming pointless as well. He said he's died and now Messiah controls his life. He no longer lives. But it is Messiah who is directing him. And if that's the state of of the believer's life as well, and it certainly is his point, does that leave you anything other than listening to his voice to do? No. If you are doing that, is it possible to sin? If you're being led by the Spirit of God, if you're being led by Messiah Yeshua, is it impossible? Is it possible for you to sin? Does Messiah have sin? No. Was not Messiah raised from the dead for the injustice of his death? And if he's been raised because of that righteousness that he had, and he's now abiding in you and guiding you in your life, is there anything that Messiah needs to be found righteous? No. If you're in Messiah and he's in you, there's no further righteousness to seek. You've been found righteous. You've been declared righteous. It's a done deal. He's already been found righteous. And Paul is saying, live by faith in the Son of God's righteousness. He lives by faith in the Son of God's righteousness. And as long as he remains in Messiah, through faith in the Son of God, there's nothing that he or any believer who does the same needs to do besides listen to Messiah and walk out life through Messiah. In the regard of being found righteous of a covenant member, as long as you are in Messiah, you are a covenant member. What these Galatians, uh, what he wants these Galatians to know is that that is their state as well. If they remain in Messiah, there's nothing left to do. If they seek justification on their own, then they're no longer in Messiah. But they're on their own. I don't want to be on my own. Sadly, This is something the Galatians have forgotten. It would appear from the first verses of chapter 3 that they're starting to believe what these influencers or Judaizers are teaching. Paul opens with some harsh words. He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Messiah was clearly, was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit 
and works miracles among you, do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith. He says, you foolish Galatians. I love this. There's a lot of people I would like to say that to. I'll talk about some of them later. You foolish Galatians. And that word foolish means unwise. But the real cut comes from who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? He's saying, you can't be that foolish, can you? Someone has to have a hold on you. Somebody has to have put a spell on you. The influencers with their rhetoric have actually cast a spell on the Galatians. How is that? Think about it. How could that be? Well, if you listen to someone long enough, you'll begin to accept their rhetoric as truth. You begin to accept their rhetoric, rhetoric even without knowing sometimes that you're accepting it, what you're doing. He used the word bewitched because it's a perfect example of what he's trying to say. It's as if you have a spell put on you. You've come under a spell. You come under their control. And if you're under someone else's control, you're no longer in Messiah. How else is it that people fall away from Messiah? Do you ever think about it? Those are the ones I'd like to shake and say, you foolish Galatians. How could anybody fall away from Messiah? You know, on the rabbi's forum this week, one of the rabbis spoke of a two-house congregation in his area. And he confessed that he didn't know them very well except that a couple that had once attended to his congregation left there and went over to them. But here's the astonishing thing. The astonishing thing was that this congregation as a whole decided to reject Messiah and turn to Orthodox Judaism. Can you imagine that? A congregation, or at least the bulk of a congregation as a whole, rejecting Messiah and converting to Orthodox Judaism? Closing their congregation and start to attend an Orthodox synagogue? It's amazing to me that anyone could renounce Messiah. How does something like that happen? If you ask those same people five years ago to reject Messiah and go to an Orthodox synagogue, I'm sure to a person they would have looked at you like you were crazy. How do you get a whole community to reject Messiah and turn to Orthodoxy? For that matter, think Baker a few years ago. Getting hundreds of his Christian followers to drink poison-laced Kool-Aid until it's almost become a joke. The person drank the Kool-Aid. Right? How do you do that? And I know that if you had asked those who drank Kool-Aid that day, five years earlier, if they would do that, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. And yet they did. And so how do you get people to do things like this? Paul just told us. They've been bewitched. These men, through their teachings, chipped away at their congregants' belief systems a bit at a time, not enough to cause them to doubt their words, not enough to ruffle any feathers, just a little bit at a time. A little here, a little there, until, like Paul said, they're bewitched. Allow me to speculate what would might have happened to this two-house congregation. In, in the case of the two-house people, it may have been started with just a harmless teaching, on how Israel divided years ago and the northern kingdom was carried off to be slaves, leaving everyone wondering, well, I wonder what happened to those guys. 
What had happened to those slaves who were dispersed? Then a little while later, a teaching on, well, there's a possibility, you know, that some of us may be some of those dispersed throughout the nations. We could be some of the lost tribes. And then sometime later, you know something? We are all the lost tribes. That's why we have a desire to return to Torah. Then a teaching on, you know, we're all Israel, and since Israel are Abraham's children, we should be circumcised. Then they start to teach what tribe we're from. And finally, after years, since we're Israel, maybe we need to go join our brothers Judah over in the synagogue. And again, that's speculation, but that's how bewitching happens. The two-house pastor, through his teaching that they were from the lost tribes of Israel, apparently convinced the entire congregation they need to reject Messiah and go join the Jewish people in a synagogue. And I'm sure that if you had spoken with some of these people, like I said, five or ten years earlier, they would have said, that could never happen to me. That's why I warn people, hey, be careful what you listen to, because people chip at your belief system just a little bit at a time until you accept what they believe. And that's what Paul refers to here. Who has bewitched you? Who's cast you under a spell that you could reject Messiah's gracious gift and seek to be accepted by those who are mere men and who they themselves are in error and have a gospel from men that's no gospel at all? How could you be so bewitched? And so the Galatians are kind of in the same place. They're not rejecting Messiah to the degree that these two house people did, but they're about to reject the gift of God for the smooth talk of these influencers. It would seem that some of them are so convinced that they're actually contemplating the doing this, this conversion process. And so he says next, he says, before whose eyes Messiah was publicly portrayed as crucified. Even with all the small t- or the smooth talk, it's still unimaginable to Paul that they could be swayed. When they had so clearly had Messiah Yeshua portrayed as dying a criminal's death. And not only that, as he's going to go on to tell us, they've experienced the results of that. The benefits of it. I believe Paul is actually bewildered. I know when I see people reject Messiah as those above, I'm bewildered. I can't even understand. How can it happen? I can't imagine how on earth it could happen. You want to go shake them and say, are you crazy? How could someone who's tasted the good news of God experience the relief of having Yeshua lift the burden of sin from your life? And even as Paul will say in a moment, receive the Holy Spirit, then be so misled. How can you feel the lifted burden of the sin in your life? How can you feel the peace that descends upon you? How can you feel the joy of the Spirit of God and the joy of having this new relationship with God and think for an instance that you need anything else? It's unimaginable to me just as it is to Paul. Finally, how can you have recounted for you the suffering of Messiah, the suffering of the innocent one, 
to pay for your sin and think you need something else. These people know how greatly Messiah suffered for them. You know, at the Passover Seder, I often recount what Messiah went through for us. And I do it because most don't even have a clue what happened that day. Their idea of Messiah's death is often one of a crucifix or some painting of a man hanging on a cross with a couple of nail holes in his hand and a little trickle of blood running down his face, his forehead. They just never thought about how he really suffered after being beaten, we're told, beyond recognition of a man. But understand, these people, they don't need to have that recounted for them. Because unlike the guests at our Passover Seder, they have seen people crucified. They've seen the brutality. They know what Messiah endured for them. But not just that, as Paul said above, they've experienced uh, the result of that suffering, the goodness of God, the joy of the forgiveness of God that, that Messiah's suffering secured that day. They've seen others on the stake for days suffering an agonizing death. They know how he suffered and have experienced what he secured. And that's why Paul says next, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And Once again, the works of the law here refers to what they're contemplating. This Pharisaic process of conversion being full uh, requiring uh, full conversion and circumcision to be covenant members, requiring them to live lives as a Jewish person. And so he is saying, did you receive the result of Messiah's suffering for you, which is, of course, being justified and the indwelling spirit of God? Did you receive that because of works of the law? Or by hearing of Messiah's death and resurrection and accepting that with faith? And the answer, of course, is obvious. And in fact, he's already stated the answer above. He stated it already. It's that obvious. He said, we may be justified by faith in Messiah, not by works of the law, since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Unless you won't receive the Spirit of God, unless you've been justified. God is holy. He does not inhabit unholy places. For the Spirit of God to abide in you, there must be a purification that takes place in your life. And that only comes through Messiah Yeshua. No other way. Scripture foresaw that the Gentiles, and for that matter all men, would be justified by faith. It was by faith and not works of the law that righteousness was credited to Abraham. It was by faith and not works of the law that Jacob received the name Israel. And it is by faith and not by works of the law that you are grafted into Israel as well. Circumcision is nothing in the scheme of things. Abraham was a goy, a Gentile, not a Jew when he was called. He was a goy, one from the nation, when he believed God and it was his faith that was credited to him as righteousness. He was still a goy, uncircumcised goy. He was later circumcised, he and his entire household to include those bought with money. But there's no command for those from the nations to be circumcised. They were to remain as they were. Only those of Abraham's household. There's no command. And Paul tells us that. Prove it for, to you from Scripture. Listen to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17. 
Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him, to which God has called him. This rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised? Circumcised when he was called, then he should remain uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Did you get that? So, are Gentiles required to be circumcised? Not according to Paul. That's not what he believes. The Galatians and the Corinthians and everyone to the ends of the earth were never required to be circumcised. Just the Jewish people. Just the descendants of Abraham. And here's the proof of what Paul really believes. He says to the Gentiles, if you were not circumcised when you were called, you should remain uncircumcised. And then he tells us why. Circumcision means nothing. What counts is keeping the commands of God. And so it stands, it's Paul's belief that circumcision of those living in Corinth was not a command of God. It is a command to the Jewish people, but not to the non-Jews. It's really simple, folks. We are to live our lives not as Jews, if you're not a Jew, But we are to be keeping the commands of God that that apply to us. If non-Jew, then those to the non-Jew. If to a Jew, then those to a Jew. Circumcision of non-Jews is not a command. And I keep restating that because I want everybody to understand once and for all that Paul never advocated breaking a command of God. He, like Acts chapter 21 tells us, lived in obedience to the law. And so again he says this, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This receiving, you've got to understand, this receiving of the Spirit of God was evidence of being accepted by God and being a covenant member. And that's why Peter said, remember in Acts chapter 10, let's read it again, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues, praising God. Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Now we read that and we don't really get it, do we? For they have received the Holy Spirit as we have. We don't really get it because we don't understand This being immersed in water was one of the final steps that a proselyte took in becoming a covenant member in Israel. He would have already learned Torah. He would have already been circumcised and hopefully recovered from it. And just before he went into the temple to do his offerings, he would go through the waters of the immersion as one from the nations. It was said he died and he was born again as he came out of the water, this time a son of Abraham. Well, what Peter is saying here is, look, there's no need for circumcision. There's no need for learning how to live as a Jew. God, him, who, which of us can be immersed in water into the kingdom of heaven in the name of Yeshua? And as Yeshua commanded, this receiving of the Spirit was part of salvation and evidence that the saving grace of Messiah had been worked in the life of someone. It was evidence that really nothing else needed to be done. God has accepted him. Who are we not to accept him? 
The only thing left was one go on to live a life in obedience to God through the Spirit. So again, the answer to Paul's question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith, is obvious. Since they, like many of you, knew nothing of works of the law when you received salvation. How many knew anything about works of the law when you received salvation? A few, maybe. Torah, I didn't know what Torah was. Law? What do you mean law? All I knew is I needed Yeshua in my life. So he says next, are you so foolish? Here we go again. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit you are now being perfected in the flesh, by the flesh? You see what he said? Do you really think that there's anything that you can do to add to what Messiah Yeshua has done for you? Do you think there's something you can add to what the Spirit of God living and working through you, you can add to that? Or perhaps you think that these influencers have a better way for you than the Spirit of God. Do you think there's anything that you can do in the flesh that will add to the righteousness Yeshua has secured and attained for you? Really? Because I can't imagine how anyone could be that foolish. How can you be so foolish? Paul draws a clear distinction between life in this, with living by the Spirit of God and His guidance in your life and that of works of the law through the flesh. Or we could say works of the law done on your own or by someone else's rules. Listen to what he says in the book of Romans so that we don't forget what we learned in the book of Romans. We'll read it. For what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Amen. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For who are, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Walking out the law of God in the flesh isn't even pleasing to God. It will cause you to be, as I said last week, it's going to cause you to be judgmental. It will cause you to condemn others who do not keep the law as you do. And in the process, you condemn yourself by condemning the others. When you keep the law in the flesh, you start from a place of death. And in your striving, then you condemn others. You think more highly of yourself and your observance than you ought. You look down in arrogance on the observance of others. If you walk out the law through the Spirit, it begins with life. There's only one way to walk out the Torah in the Spirit. First, you have to accept the salvation and the cleansing that Yeshua did for you. He was crucified to secure for you because the Spirit won't inhabit unclean places. So in walking out the Torah by the Spirit, you start from a place of life. You start from a place of humility, knowing that it was only out of God's love 
that you have found life and peace in Messiah Yeshua. And if you remain in Him and you continue in the leading of the Spirit, you remain in that place of humility, knowing that it was only by the grace of God that you have this peace. It's only through the leading of the Spirit that you remain in Messiah. You're humble because you realize it took years for God to cut through the layers of your stubborn flesh, of the stubborn flesh that surrounded your heart. And so you begin to show the same patience to your fellow man. The Spirit gives you understanding when looking at your brother rather than condemnation. Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, without Messiah, without the leading of the Spirit, it's impossible to please God. And he says something else that should give us pause for a minute. At least it gives me pause. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. What does he mean there? What did they suffer? I thought Messiah suffered. What did they suffer? Well, these God-fearers suffered because they didn't fit in any, with any men anywhere. They didn't fit in anywhere. Yes, they'd found Messiah, but the Jewish people as a whole completely did not accept them. They would not have fellowship with them. Gentiles uh, would not accept them. In fact, part of the Roman Empire, in the, in, in the Roman Empire, they would have been seen as atheists and subject to death. The Romans required all men to accept their gods, and they had many to choose from, but you had to accept their gods. They also required once a year that all men bow before the emperor and present him with gifts. And if you did not, you were considered an atheist and subject to the penalty of death. Now the curious thing is that the Jewish people had an exemption from this law and were allowed to practice their faith and not bow down to the emperor. But the poor God-fearer was not seen as part of the Jewish people and could suffer persecution and even death, as the early Roman Christians found out. They will suffer because they were not part of the Jews and they did not bow down to Rome. And so they'll be put to death as atheists. Did you know the Christians started out as atheists? We in the Messianic faith should understand this somewhat, right? Well, we're not suffering as atheists. We certainly know what it is not to fit in anywhere. We don't fit in with the majority of the Christian faith because we don't accept the rhetoric and the dogma that the Torah has become invalid. We don't fit in because we keep the Sabbath, because the early Messianic Jews and non-Jews all kept the Sabbath and not Sunday. In fact, Sunday was a product of bowing down to the Emperor Constantine. We rejoice in Passover because the early Messianic Jews and non-Jews recognized God's festivals. And we reject those that came out of the Roman Empire like Easter. So we don't really fit in. I'd like to fit in. Right? Well, under certain circumstances, I'd like to fit in. I'd like to dialogue with my fellow believers. But they don't want to dialogue. I had a, a, one of the leaders of a college, uh, head, heads of the theological department, write me a letter and ask me something. I wrote him back an answer and invited him to continue the conversation. I haven't heard from him since. They don't want a dialogue. Pastors don't want a dialogue. Some of the Messianic movement are so mad at the church, they reject the church. They want nothing to do with the church. Not me. I love Christians. 
We have Messiah in common. We both love Messiah, and Messiah loves us. And if he loves them, who am I to say to reject that? I would love to have dialogue with those in the church, particularly if the ground rules were the Bible is our final authority, as so many statements of faith declare. We not only that, we don't fit in with the Jewish faith either. They want nothing at all to do with us. In fact, they have organizations like Jews for Judaism to make sure that the Jewish people don't dialogue with us. I'd love to dialogue with them as well. It's not, it's not we who separated from them, but it's they who want nothing to do with us. Right? Listen, we're called to be witnesses of the Messiah and the truth of his word to the ends of the earth. Not separatists. That can only happen through dialogue and relationship, right? So until we can establish dialogue, we're alone. And thank God that unlike the God-fearers and non-Jewish Christians, or the non-Jewish Christians of the Roman Empire, we have a freedom in this country that allows us to gather and worship and follow scriptures through the leading of the Spirit. We can thank God that we live in this country. Amen? The last verse in this section, which we're not going to have a whole lot of time to cover, says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, we're not going to be able to adequately cover this today, but Paul is again speaking tongue-in-cheek here because... Cutting the foreskin is not, which is what works of the law would be here, cutting the foreskin is not going to result in a miracle. Keeping the Torah as a Jewish person is not going to result in a miracle. The fact is, there are no miracles except those done by God for, who, for those who believe in God and His Messiah and have faith in them. Well, except for maybe one. And that, that is that you're still awake after the Sabbath message each week. That's a miracle. <laughs> so next week we'll look at uh, this last verse.